0: Well, happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. If you didn't know, that's the week before Easter. Yeah, it is, uh, that's actually the scripture we're going to be looking at today as we prepare ourselves for Easter. Um, You know, I came across this story, actually I came across this story last night. Um, A guy named uh, Reginald Heber, anybody heard of Reginald Heber? I mean, I had never heard of this guy before, uh, which it doesn't surprise me. 200 years ago, he was an Anglican priest, uh, the pastor of an Anglican church. And um, he, uh, he loved to praise God. He loved to praise Jesus. And, and, and God really inspired him in a lot of ways. And over the course of 10 years, he wrote actually 57 hymns. But being an Anglican... At the time, Anglicans didn't sing songs in church. And so he had all of these hymns that the Lord had given him that he just used for his own personal worship because he just loved to praise so much. The pastor he was actually pastoring had been led by his father a number of years before. And so he pastored this church for that time, wrote these hymns that he used for himself to praise, and then he went on the mission field and uh, went to India to try to bring some people to Jesus, and he carried those hymns with him, again, for his own personal praise time, and going over there and and ministering and seeing dozens and dozens of dozens of people get saved. In the midst of all of that, he would go, there was one particular day, he went to this house and shared the gospel, and the family gets saved, and goes to the next house, the family gets saved, and he's going to go home, and Take a cold bath and go out again because I don't know if you know this or not, India is really, really hot. Uh, And so he's out there just sweating it, going house to house. And he goes home, but we don't really know what happened. Maybe it was the heat and the coldness of the bath. Maybe he already had some other health things. But when he got in the cold bath, he died. Um, And they uh, were all shocked, the whole community. Because even though it was India and and the vast majority of the neighboring communities believed other things, they loved him. Loved him because of how he spoke to each of them and treated each of them. Well, they uh, took and had a service for him and buried him, but they found his notes. And in those notes, they found his hymns that he had written and used for his own personal praise. And among them was one particular hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. A song that he set on and used for his own personal worship for a decade and a half before anybody else ever heard it. And they had that song, among his other ones, published that we still use and sing today. You see, even when misunderstood and unappreciated Praise cannot be restrained. It has to come out in some capacity. And so even though the place God had called him to minister wanted nothing to do with what God had put within his heart in these songs, it would be appreciated much later. God wasn't giving him those songs for anybody else at the time other than him, but it would be for everybody else in just a few years praise cannot be restrained which is what we're going to look at today in luke chapter 19 luke chapter 19 it starts on page 878 if you want to use a bible there on the pew rack in front of you Uh, page 878 luke chapter 19 Uh, and again if you do not have a bible take one of those bibles home take them if you need one for your whole family take them all home And, and and we got some others but that's a bible for you everybody needs a bible in Luke chapter 19, Jesus, his entire life here on earth, has been building to this moment, building to the you can see it throughout his ministry as well. it's all angled towards here. In these last several chapters, he's been traveling towards Jerusalem. He's been going from area to area um, earlier in this passage and the end of the previous chapter. He had come to Jericho, which was a few miles away from Jerusalem. And he had healed some guys before Jericho. He went through Jericho and he healed another guy on the back end of Jericho. You may have heard of him, Zacchaeus. Uh, Some people say he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Uh, But he, uh, he healed these guys and then he makes his way continuing on towards Jerusalem. Because he knows, Jesus knows, because he is God, in just a few days he will be arrested, tried, beaten beyond all recognition crucified buried and then raised from the dead he knows that walking towards the town that come friday afternoon he will be dead but he still goes and as he's preparing to go luke chapter 19 starting in verse 28 when he had said these things he went on ahead going up to jerusalem when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, those are two little villages nearby to Jerusalem, a mile and a half-ish away, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set yet. Untie it and bring it here. Untie it and bring it here. No one's ever set on it before, this colt. No one's ever ridden it. It's, it's unworked, um, this, this colt, this donkey's colt, which is it's, it's very important, the fact that this colt has never been used for anything thus far, because in, in Old Testament literature, what that would mean was this colt, this donkey's colt, was pure. It's never been used for any purpose. It has just been raised and, and, and uh, has not been taken to the field, hasn't been taken to the farm, hasn't been taken... Um, uh, uh, to, to strap to a cart it hadn't been used in any capacity yet because what that means was uh, purity in this wave of an animal would enable it to be used for sacrifice the animal had to be pure to be used for sacrifice in Numbers 19 Deuteronomy 21 and an animal had to be pure to carry the Ark of the Covenant 1st Samuel chapter 6 now this donkey's colt wasn't going to be used for sacrifice It wasn't going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. This donkey's colt was actually going to carry something far greater than both. Jesus. Now, the the owners of this colt didn't know that ahead of time. Didn't know that the Son of God was going to ride on this colt. That the sacrifice for all of our sins was going to ride on their colt. But they were preserving this colt for a reason whatever reason they thought it was, maybe the Lord just impressed on their heart, you just need to save that colt for something. You don't know yet, just something. For whatever reason, this colt hasn't been used for, for anything. And Jesus tells these disciples, all right, go into the town, you're going to find a colt, it's going to be tied up, untie it and bring it here. Verse 31. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has Now, some some people suggest that Jesus had prearranged with the owners of this cult um, what was going to happen, Uh, and that phrase, the Lord has need of it, was like a password or a code that those guys would know. Okay, here are the guys coming to get the cult. But the way it's described in the Gospels, the disciples that Jesus was talking to and the ones who wrote it down, uh, write it down as though this is supernatural knowledge, You know, trying to say that this was a code word and Jesus had prearranged it is almost removing the supernatural from the moment. The way they write it, it's Jesus knew that this cult was there because he's Jesus, and he sends these guys to do it, and saying the Lord has need of it means that those guys know Jesus is going to use this. So maybe they were followers of Jesus. For whatever reason, however it was deemed, Jesus sent these guys, he says, you're going to untie it, the owners of the cult are going to get a little worried and say, okay, why are you stealing that? and uh, you're going to tell them the Lord has need of it. Now, (laughs) I don't know if you find this scenario funny, but if you were one of these two disciples and Jesus said, I want you to walk into town and take a donkey's colt that is just tied up there. The owners are going to be standing there, but don't worry about them. And just tell them the Lord has need of it. Would you be a little worried walking into town thinking, I'm about to steal this donkey's colt? For Jesus, we're going to be imprisoned for Jesus today because we're, I mean this, we're, we are stealing this thing, and the owners are standing there. And uh, okay, I know he's Jesus, and we've seen him do amazing things, but he's not the one going into town and taking the colt. Like you know, I mean, and who knows which one of these guys he sends in there? Maybe it was some guys with the past, and they were a little worried about getting thrown back into prison. Maybe uh, it, you know, maybe it was like Matthew, the tax collector, and everybody already hated his guts because he had worked for the Roman government. Um, You don't know who it could have been because it doesn't name the guys. He just says, go into town and do this. Do this job. And so they go. Verse 33. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set set Jesus on it. And as they rode along they spread their cloaks on the road now this may seem weird to our modern ears but this was very symbolic because this is something they would do way back in the day of really a conquering king coming home from war from a battle particularly in this region is they would put him on an animal bring him into town and have cloaks or you know another one of these tellings have palm branches that's why we call it Palm Sunday, that they would spread on the ground, almost like a red carpet, ushering him back in as a conquering hero, uh, as a victorious one. And so they're doing this to Jesus, really symbolizing that he is the king, bringing him into Jerusalem, escorting him in this, uh, triumphantly in this way. Uh, verse 37. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Mount of Olives is a little hill next to Jerusalem. Well, not little, but it's a hill next to Jerusalem. They were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king. That's a quote from um, Psalm 118, verse 26. Uh, that talks about a, a prophecy about a king riding on a colt from Zechariah chapter 9, coming into town. You know, what's interesting, fascinating about this, as we're about to see, up until this point in Jesus' ministry, when somebody recognizes Jesus as the Son of God, as king, as, as the reason he came, he would tell them not to tell anybody. Don't tell anybody that. He would command them, don't tell anybody that. But this is different. And he would, he would tell them previous times, and, and the, the authors of the Gospels would make a note, he would tell them, don't tell anybody who I am, because his time had not come yet. He doesn't stop them this time, because this is his time. And so they're praising him in this massively overt way. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling him the Messiah is what they're doing. And that causes a problem. That causes a problem. Look at Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So they were openly, massively praising the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees get offended because they can't imagine that this Jesus is this promised king. But... Those people in praising Jesus, pra- what does it say? Uh, praising him with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So it wasn't even the, the mighty works that they had experienced themselves. It was simply the stuff that they had witnessed Jesus be a part of. Witness Jesus teach, witness Jesus ministry, witness Jesus uh, uh, heal and bring back the dead. They were praising him as they're m- making this massive procession into Jerusalem. Because essentially, that's what praise is. Praise is a response. Praise is a response. It's a response to the Lord. It's a response to what he has done for us. It's a response to who he is. It's a response to how he has treated us, how he has cared for us, how he has provided for us. It's a response that the, just he created us. And he sent Jesus. Praise, pure praise, is a response both to who he is and what he's done because of who he is. But the thing is, sometimes sometimes we can get hung up, though, on only praising Jesus because of what he's done for us. You see, remember, praise is a response to who he is and what he's done because of who he is. When we only praise Jesus for what he's done for us, we're almost creating a performance-based relationship with Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to praise you as long as you do for me. And I'll praise you all day long because you do for me. And yes, we should praise Jesus because of what he's done for us. And He's done demonstratively massive amounts of things for us. But we should also praise Jesus. The core, the, the, the foundation of our praise should be in who he is. He is good. He is powerful. He is uh, mighty. He is majestic. He is loving. It should be based in who he is, building off on what he has done for us. Because what he does, he does for us because of who he is. Praise should, our praise should contain both. We shouldn't just praise him when we feel good. We shouldn't just praise him when everything in our life is going the way we want. We should praise him irregardless. We should praise him come what may. We should imitate Job. In Job chapter 1, Job praises not because life is great, Job praises because God is great. Tony, did I put those scriptures in there? I don't think I did. I think it's, like, it's Job 1, verse 20, around in that area. Um, but he says, blessed is the name of the Lord. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return. He praises God, having lost his family, having lost all of his financial resources, having all, and, and at the time, he lived in a culture when they, they taught, if something bad happens to you, God hates you. That's not true, and Job knew that. And the rest of the book of Job is his friends arguing with him about the fact that you must have done something wrong because God is really smiting the living daylights out of you. And Job said, I didn't do stuff wrong, guys. There's a great children's video we have um, and they're talking about Job and what went through it. And I, I always hear it when I think of Job is the friends start talking. And, and Job says, God is good. I didn't do anything wrong. You are bad friends. And I think, yeah, yeah, they're pretty much bad friends. Um, but Job praises God. Right when all the bad stuff happens, he sits down. His wife says, you just need to curse God and die because your life is terrible. And Job says, no, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to praise him. And he does. He praises God in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the terrible. He praises God, not because of what happens, because what happens was bad. He praises God because God is good, even though what happened was bad. What happened does not negate the goodness of God. What happened is, when when bad things happen, it's not because God is bad, it's because the world is bad. And the world is broken. God didn't design this world to have bad stuff in it. God didn't design this world to have cancer in it. God didn't design this world to have early young people die. God didn't design this world to have any death. Sin did that and broke the world. And God's going to come and he's going to fix it by giving us a new one that's not broken. And so God is good all the time. Yeah, I heard somebody, thank you, I was waiting I was waiting, somebody was on the ball over there you see Job praises God and these people here in Luke 19, they praise God too even though the Pharisees are standing right there then you know the Pharisees have been antagonistic to Jesus this, this whole time this whole, and Jesus knew that they were going to say this even some of Jesus' disciples inevitably would know everybody's crying out about Jesus being the king and those Pharisees right there, they're about to say something just in you ever anticipate somebody, you know, somebody says something and you're in the room and you know it's like a trigger word for another person in the room and you're like getting a little anxiety because you know this person's going to freak out. Well, those disciples are standing there knowing these people are praising Jesus as the king. Here come the Pharisees. Here it comes. I, I just feel it. Like, I'm going to go on the other side of Jesus because I don't want to be in the way this time. But these people praise, and what was Jesus' response? I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out because praise is necessary. Praise is necessary. And if you're a follower, I mean, that's a phrase based on us being followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, praise is necessary. But in reality, is praise a necessary part of our lives? Do we treat it as such? How necessary was praise in your life when the worst thing that could ever happen happened? How necessary was praise in your life? In the last 24 hours, in the last week, how necessary has praise been for you? Is it an afterthought? Is it, oh praise, I I do that on Sunday mornings at 9.30. I do that you know whenever uh, the right song comes on, I'll I'll praise with that song because that's the right song and it puts me in the feels and the other songs don't, but that one does, so I'll praise with that song because then praise is necessary because that song really hits me with the goosebumps. Praise is necessary always. Always, because God is good whether the song is good or not. God is good whether the preaching is good or not. Amen. That was a loud amen. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you. I know. I love you, Robin. I know. I know. <laughs> so I teed you up. I teed you up. Was, <laughs> Praise is necessary. You know, what's fascinating about this, in study for this, I came across so many verses. Praise is commanded. I don't know if you realize that or not, but it's commanded in Scripture. Let me give you some. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Now, look at that. It doesn't even say all believers. It says all nations. Exclamation point. End of sentence. <laughs> Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise him. Because I don't know if, again, I don't know if you realize that or not. God is good to everybody, whether they follow him or not. What is John three sixteen? For God so loved only the good people. For God so loved only the nice people. For God so loved only the clean people. For God so loved only the people who look like me, vote like me, speak like me, talk like me, eat like me. For God so loved the world. That's pretty much everybody. Even the people in the space station, I mean, they're they're in the gravities. God so loved the world, every human being. God so loved the world. Now look at Psalm 150, the whole chapter. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now notice that verse 2. Praise him for his deeds and just the fact that he is great. Verse 3, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Some Baptists would have a problem with that verse. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Verse 5, praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's how Psalms ends. Double praise the Lord. Praise him. That's pretty all-encompassing, right? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Again, in Jeremiah chapter 20, we're commanded again. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise him. We're commanded to praise. We're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to tell each other about Jesus. We're commanded to praise. And again, notice in those sentences, each one of those be read. There's no qualifiers in that praise the Lord when you feel good. Praise the Lord when you're happy. Praise the Lord when everybody likes you. Praise the Lord. That's just the command. End of sentence. Praise the Lord. Now you may say, well, okay, praise the Lord. Does that mean sing? I mean, that verse there in Jeremiah, sing the Lord, praise the Lord. Does does, does praising mean singing? What exactly is praise? Well, the literal, literal definition of the word praise from the Greek in the New Testament, praise is a great expression of grateful recognition. Recognizing the Lord, being grateful for the Lord, and expressing it greatly. Praise is a great expression of grateful recognition. Recognizing the Lord, giving Him the credit. Katie and I were, were talking about the, our Sunday school class lesson uh, yesterday, uh, preparing for it. You know, we have some stuff we do and getting ready for the lesson. Uh, she teaches it. Uh, but everyone in our class, we have some homework that we do to prepare, so we talk about it and what the Lord's showing us. And part of that came out of, I believe, you know, it, it lined up with this idea of what praise is, recognizing the Lord in our lives, recognizing the hand of God in our lives. You know, when we don't recognize the Lord, we run the risk of taking the credit for something God did. And in Acts chapter 12, that didn't turn out so well for Herod he took the credit for something that was God's and he was struck dead on the spot we should always be mindful of recognizing the lord in our lives and through us i mean it's the same with me st- sitting up here preaching anything good that comes from my mouth is not josh herwick it's jesus anything that's confusing it doesn't make sense and is bad that's all me That's all me. I've worked for that bad. That is every bit of me. Anything good is Jesus. So praise is a great expression of grateful recognition. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise. Genuine faith naturally results in praise, meaning more faith, more praise. The more faith we have, the more praise we give, because as our faith grows, so does our praise. But where our praise is lacking, so is our faith. Our faith grows, so our praise grows grows. But if our praise isn't growing, if our praise isn't great, then maybe our faith is smaller than we thought it was. As our faith grows, so does our praise. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledges his name. A sacrifice of praise, an offering of praise. Praise is a grateful uh, recognition that is meant to be a necessary offering in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's meant to be a necessary offering that we offer to him. Praise in everything we go through. And the word that's used there in Hebrews 13 for sacrifice of praise is used in another passage of scripture. One you, some of you may be familiar with from Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, a living sacrifice, a living offering that is spiritual worship, spiritual praise, What Paul is saying there in Romans 12 is that every element of our lives can be and should be offered as worship in praise to God. But you say, how can our words and actions reflect great expressions of grateful recognition? Most likely, both in what we do and how we do what we do. Has anybody ever said something to you that taken by itself was not a bad thing they said, but the tone with which they said it made it come across as not very nice. And so how we do something sometimes is just as important, if not more so, than what we end up doing. How we do it. So what we do and how we do what we do can, can be offering of praise to the Lord, can be a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. And It's supposed to be all-consuming. I mean, a sacrifice in the Old Testament was complete life surrender. When you made a sacrifice, you killed the animal. You didn't just offer a leg. You offered the whole thing. You offered all of it to the Lord. A living sacrifice is, is, is then one, as Paul uses that language in Romans 12, it is one that is given in total, one's whole life offered. Not piecemeal. That kind of offering to God is not given as a piece of our life, it's simply a contribution we make. We're just going to give him a little sliver, a little piece. It's all of it. It's going all in. Tony Evans says it in a great way. I'm going to read his words because it's way better than what I can come up with. He says, what it is, is it's the difference between what a chicken and and a pig bring to breakfast. You get it? The chicken makes a contribution. The pig is everything. What we often try to do with God is give an egg here and an egg there, but God wants the sacrifice of the bacon. God wants the sacrifice, not simply make a little contribution here and a little contribution there. God wants us to give everything, give it all that's when, he, when, when, when Paul uses that word living sacrifice, he's meaning sacrifice. That means give it all. That means give every little piece of it. Don't just give a little chunk here, a little contribution through an egg that doesn't really cost us anything. Give it like the pig. Give everything. This is the whole reason I exist is for this purpose and this reason. Well, like bacon, to make life better. <laughs> Point people to Jesus. Because praise, praise, this offering of praise, this sacrifice of praise, praise changes your life. It changes your life. It changes your demeanor. It changes your attitude. Have you ever praised Jesus and continue to praise Jesus and then come out the other side angry? You can't praise Jesus and be angry. I mean, I've said it before. Go and read some of those psalms that David wrote. They can start out angry. He's mad. But the second he starts to praise Jesus in those psalms, his attitude changes. And he gets to the end and he's saying, praise God, life is good. You praise God and your life will change. You praise the Lord and your life will change. And so you have to ask yourself, is my praise a contribution or is my praise an offering, a sacrifice? If we praise with a great expression of grateful recognition, then we can only praise when we recognize the Lord, if that definition holds true. And we can only recognize the Lord when our attention is on the Lord. And our attention is on the Lord when our attention is not on us. A lot, Most of the time, I find it in my own life that when my attention is not on the Lord and praising him, it's because my attention is on me. What I'm experiencing, what I'm going through, what I think is the best opinion, mine, when when I'm focused on on my thoughts and my experience and, and, and my feelings, then I'm not thinking about Jesus. And I'm definitely not praising Jesus. We have to have our attention on him, recognize him, and praise him. And praising will change our lives because a praising person is not angry. A praising person is not anxious A praising person is not offended. A praising person is joyful. A praising person is peaceful. A praising person is thankful. And a praising person is loving. That doesn't mean they don't slip up. That doesn't mean they don't struggle. But when our attention is on God and our recognition is on the Lord and we're praising him, it changes everything about us. Everything. It rewires the the, the neurons in our brains and the pathways that have dug grooves from from difficult life and and anger and and bitterness and anxiety begins to change when our life becomes all about praising Jesus, and those are new pathways and new angles because praise changes. It doesn't just change us. Praise changes everyone around us. It changes everyone around us because, again, this is my experience. Maybe it's not yours, but when you get around somebody and, and they're either in a down-in-the-dumps mood and, and super discouraged and uh, 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 you know, maybe super angry, super bitter, super just, just not happy, a negative person, their negativeness rubs off on you. And whether you've noticed it or not, sometimes when they're in a bad mood and they give you the bad mood, they're in a better mood. It's like they've passed off the bad mood to you. They've spread it around like a virus. They're spreading around the bad mood. And maybe you've noticed it in your house. If there's one person in a bad mood and they give the bad mood to somebody else, they're better, but the bad mood's still there. But if we're praising Jesus, the the inverse also happens. It's more difficult to, to spread the positive, but it does happen. If you've ever been around somebody who's exuberantly joyful, their joy rubs off, at least for a little while, onto you. And so if we are in this this spirit of praise, our praise can change those around us. It will rub off onto them, even if they don't know Jesus. Man, something's different about those guys. They're a little nutty, but something's different. I don't know why, they're they're going through this and this and this and this, but they're still praising Jesus for some reason. And we're showing the world, when we do that, we're showing the world what it means to be a follower of the one true, all good God. Praising the Lord is necessary. Praising the Lord is is life-changing. So ask yourself, how much do I praise really, genuinely? How much do I gratefully recognize the Lord in my life? How much do I do it? It doesn't have to be jumping up and down and dancing and banging tambourines every time, because remember, it's it's grateful recognition. How much do you gratefully recognize the Lord in your life? Not just occasionally when you say, Lord bless this food that has no nourishment to my body, but How much do you gratefully recognize the Lord's hand in your life? That's praise. How much do you praise him? How much do you praise him? And the key component of that, the foundational moment of praising the Lord, comes in your initial praise that that happens when you believe in Jesus. You see, believing in Jesus is a moment of, of praise because it's recognizing gratefully what he has done for you in salvation. And he tells us in scripture that what happens in heaven is the angels rejoice, the angels celebrate, the angels break out in a praise party when even just one person comes to Jesus. So today, wherever you find yourself, sitting in these green pews or watching online on your couch or wherever you are in your house, will you come to Jesus today? Come to Jesus. Jesus came to us when he came to this world. John chapter one tells us, He created the world. The world broke and sinned. And then he came to us to die in our place. And then he rose from the dead so we can live after we die. He died so all our sins would be forgiven. And now we have this opportunity for eternity. Will you believe in Jesus today? Will you praise him today by believing in Jesus today? Not put it off, not make arguments in your mind, uh, uh, not say, well, I'll do it next week when I get so-and-so here because next week is Easter and it's big day and I can do it on Easter. But what if you got saved today and got baptized on Easter? You could do that, yeah? Believe in Jesus today. Believe in him today. And in a minute, Music's going to play. I'll be standing here at the front. If you believed in Jesus today, you "You know what? I need to settle this deal, and and I've been arguing with God for weeks and months, maybe even years, and I need to believe in Jesus today, then come and talk to me before you leave this room. Or if you're watching online, wherever you're watching, there's a button that says, I made a decision. Say, I want to believe in Jesus, and hit submit, and that sends an email right to my phone, and I'll call you this afternoon. And whether you do it online or you come here in the room, we're going to celebrate one way or another. And Jesus will be praised because of your decision. So whether you need to believe in Jesus for the first time or you're ready to say, you know what, I need to rewire that stuff in my brain. And I need to start praising him, gratefully recognizing him all throughout my life. So that the anger, the the bitterness, the anxiety, the offense just isn't there. Because my attention is elsewhere. And it's focused on him. And I'm praising him, even when the storms come, even when the bottom falls out, even when the brokenness of this world seems to be overtaking everything in my life, I can still praise him because God is still